Welcome to the Visegrad Inside podcast from Central Europe on Central Europe. It's 11 October 2021, Visegrad Inside podcast. My name is Wojciech Przybylski and together with Kamil Jarenczyk, Managing Editor of Visegrad Inside. We are in the studio of Visegrad Inside uh, offices, Respublika Foundation, recording to you um, a bit changed format of the podcast, which starts with the weekly outlook. So, uh, Kamil, what's uh, what's in uh, this week? Well, um, uh, the Czech elections, of course. Uh, we're still not sure what the results are because uh, some developments actually happened over the weekend um, uh, with a very slight majority, very, very small majority. Spolu actually beat Ano, which is uh, interesting because Spolu is technically a coalition of three smaller parties, which created some ambiguity whether the president, uh, Zem- Miloš Zeman, would allow um, the coalition of Spolu the right to create the first coalition or whether, the, as in his own interpretation, it would be the largest party, which would then still be Ano. Uh, and and uh, uh, technically speaking, although the percentage points are for Spolu, the right-wing coalition of ODS and other parties, it is in fact uh, by number of seats, Anno, who takes precedence. They have one seat more, according to at least the results I have seen. Mm. So anyway, well, it's close to a draw and it will be definitely not helping uh, clear the picture after after last weekend's elections. Exactly. And of course, uh, things got a little bit more complicated or they're looking to be more complicated because Milo Zeman, who um, who is uh, of an advanced age, uh, was uh, taken to the ICU. He's in intensive care at the moment and it is uh, uh, not certain how um, things will turn out yeah, with his health. And that is bringing another complication, which is uh, of the legal or constitutional nature, because he is the first uh, directly elected president with new provisions in the that uh, that were um, uh, brought about in Czech Republic and and now uh, what is the situation if well we don't wish him that of course let him long live and healthy as much as possible alive we know where he's a drinker and smoker but uh, what's what happens if if he's no more Oh, well, the Czech constitution is, um, there is no vice president in Czechia, so there is no automatic switch of power. Um, uh, at least from what I've been reading, because I got interested in the topic of myself, um, uh, the, I think the provisions is that both houses have to agree on a new president. But uh, as we know, the opposition holds the Senate. Um, and I think if they cannot agree, then both houses would have to agree that the prime minister would uh, get the powers of the president. But um, once again, bo- uh, the Senate is in the hands of the opposition and Babish is quite a polarizing figure. Well, that that would be really interesting development. But in any case, this is what we've been writing. I mean, this is what Alexander Kaczorowski wrote for us at the end of summer, uh, early September. We had him, his analysis showing clearly that Andrei Babish is nowhere to go for at least a couple of months, but maybe even years, uh, specifically because of this peculiar context. On one hand, sitting President Zeman willing to put him forward um, for the prime minister office. And on the on the other hand, all the massive provisions uh, that that were perhaps not well thought of, uh, thought through when um, when introduced. Now, maybe we move now to Hungary, where uh, I have to uh, endorse uh, one of the leaders of the opposition, uh, Mayor of uh, uh, Mayor of Budapest, uh, Gergely Karacin, uh, who had his uh, run in the primaries, uh, currently ongoing primaries that will conclude by the end of this week. 
declared his support for the third person person in the in the ranking, Peter Markizai, um, a local politician coming from center right uh, wing, who immediately went on the offensive, uh, attacking both Orban and presenting himself as. Hey, you know, a person of farmer's land, he wouldn't he wouldn't be shy of a culture war, uh, mentioning Orban's son as gay and naming half of the current government hypocrites because they're um, homosexual. So, um, well, what an interesting twist from uh, much hoped for a liberal mayor of Budapest, uh, at least by the liberal pundits and uh, and many newsrooms. Uh, we are going to see a battle between the wife of a formerly compromised Prime Minister Jurchen and um, a centre-right-wing mayor who is an unexpected, uh, 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 it was unexpected to, to make it to the first place and the government's propaganda through the main media channels uh, was attacking primarily someone else and for completely different reasons. So there is a lot of dynamics. And uh, again, uh, kudos to Mr. Karachan for a very forward-looking uh, decision, strategic decision, where he would say also that it's more important to make a change and not at this point who will, who will do it. So we will observe this and watch it very closely how this situation develops. Yeah, it's um, it was uh, quite a surprising development, but it also Karachin is uh, is a um, a young man, relatively speaking, in politics. So, uh, of a, by all, by all means, um, I think he's uh, maybe even securing a future career with with being able to move over the current uh, situation. Well, if he is that foresightful, uh, we don't know, but definitely that brings about another uh, young politician who mm. just. Um, step down from prime minister office, uh, another ally of Viktor Orban losing elections, Mr. Kurz, uh, chancellor of Austria, stepped down, uh, seeing that he's no way going to um, stay over as a prime minister, as a chancellor of Austria, uh, should there be a vote. And the police has raided his offices, uh, accusing him of abusing his office, abusing his position and corruption. Um, for the time being, it seems that uh, he will uh, go into the shape. He's still a very popular politician, very young, 35, I think. Yes, sir. And uh, he's a darling of the UFOPED, of the conservatives. And uh, who knows? I mean, most, most likely, this is also a long game strategy where he needs to uh, wait it off. Uh, we will see what the what the whole investigation brings, and in the meantime, he's uh, moving himself into the shade. And while the foreign minister, uh, a close ally so far, has been appointed as a new, uh, is expected to be appointed as a new chancellor. So uh, these are the news from from Central Europe. But now, as we sit in in Warsaw, we we cannot mention, I guess, uh, the developments uh, in in Poland. Yeah, massive demonstrations yesterday on Sunday. Yes, and over hundred cities, hundred cities and towns across Poland uh, gathered all together more than hundred thousand in Warsaw, and I, I I think it's safe to say more than several hundreds altogether across Poland, in what was a massive cry out against uh, the conflict with the EU, essentially, and what Donald Tusk um, was uh, and other politicians of the opposition were branding as a call against poll exit, which may be happening, they say, if indeed uh, PIS is led to 
uh, to drive the politics in the direction they uh, they have. And of course, it relates to the recent constitutional tribunal um, decision, but it also plays um, plays out as we have heard several strongmen of PIS saying that uh, Brussels is ultimately the uh, occupying force um, compared to, you know, second war experience, communist experience, Nazi communism, Poles are, are excellent defiers of any, of any occupation and Brussels uh, would be considered one of them. But this is this is very. I mean, this this would need to be unpacked a bit uh, of of what's going on. There is also this uh, sense and emotion of rebellion, uh, oh. and especially that is strong within PIS camp. Kaczynski is challenged by several factors. I think mm. uh, on one side, he is challenged from the right side. Mr. Jobro is the remaining coalition partner. Uh, Kaczynski got rid of the other one mm. by cutting him, uh, cutting his uh, MPs out from the government and taking the rest who would, uh, who would, he would co-opt into the, into the government, into the party structures, uh, to remain uh, just at the edge of uh, of the majority. Now, obviously, uh, the next uh, the next uh, one to be axed is Mr. Jobro, Minister mm. of Justice who already has been trying to uh, damage the relationship with the EU, claiming that Poland needs sovereignty instead of, you know, this democratic security. It's more important to have freedom and EU money. Mm. Uh, but if no EU money, then it's still freedom, freedom, freedom. And with these slogans, he was hoping to generate a lot of support. At Still, he's polling only at around 10%. And now Mr. Kaczynski, and the speaker of the uh, of the of the parliament who also has been flirting with the idea of uh, rebelling or defying eu laws and regulation essentially close to pole exit narrative have been dominant in the polish public space mm. and while the camp is obviously uh, embroiled in such a conflict of words mm. Um, I think Donald Tusk is coming back to the stage with a very clear strategy to exploit this weakness. Mm. Uh, Poles want to be in the EU mm. and Poles want EU money that this government so skillfully negotiated. And let's also remember in the last presidential election, it was actually so close uh, due to the diaspora coming to vote. A lot of the diaspora, which uh, their basis of ec economic stability is that they are part of the EU, they're EU citizens. So if um, if this becomes a sense of polarization, it would definitely go in the favor of the opposition as um, yeah, such a fear of leaving the EU. Uh, would uh, and of course we've been hearing from Jobro as well that the EU is doing economic uh, blackmail yes uh, mm. uh, of the LGBT free zones so. which the government has been pushing on the local governments to withdraw from so, yeah. the, so the government over the summer has been sending emissaries uh, to Małopolski region to other regions in the southeast of Poland asking or pressuring, lobbying the, the local constituencies to withdraw from discriminatory um, uh, acts or believe the declarations that they've been uh, uttering uh, earlier in order to secure EU funds. That was a clear strategy on behalf of the government. We don't know if the government still is willing to do uh, silent withdrawal while trumping the nationalist Trump patriotic card in the in the in the wide in the open, 
but I think it's safe to assume this one, this can be one of the strategies the government might be having to have the cake and to eat the cake to consume Mr. Jobro uh, party constituency at least if not members uh, within the ranks um, of PIS and at the same time to make a deal to strike a deal and to um, Essentially, there is no deal even to be made to, to accustom to the EU regulations and, and the verdicts of the European Court of Justice and kill the reforms that Mr. Jobro has initiated. There were originally, I mean, in the first uh, weeks after the, after the ruling from the European Court of Justice, there was an expectation and even I think there were words of Mr. Kaczynski that uh, appropriate legislation is, is being prepared. So let's watch for it. Uh, anything else uh, that we should highlight for the upcoming week? To keep your eyes on Czechia. Yeah. can go either way. Um, yes. It's uh, in the hands of God now. <laughs> well, in the hands of God Zeman yeah. and, um, yeah, and their doctors. So we will definitely see um, more stories coming from Czechia. Also watch our space, watch our website, visegradinside.eu. You will uh, read uh, very soon at least two articles, two analyses that we have commissioned, one by Albin Sivera and the by Martin L. coming up later this week at the beginning of the next week as well. Thank you and uh, have a good week. My name is Romano Kinyu. I'm a political analyst working closely uh, on Central and Eastern Europe. And I'm quite proud to be one of the few French people in, very interested in the region. And I hope that I will be able to, to some extent, uh, influence the, the future of Europe by strengthening the relations between France and Central and Eastern European countries. And for that, of course, I follow Visegrad Inside, which I very warmly recommend to all our listeners. Uh, Romain, w- welcome to the podcast. It's really great to have you on behalf of Euro Creative and uh, your many other hats that, uh, that you have. Um, it's really fantastic to have a, a French perspective on Central Europe, uh, strictly speaking from Paris where uh, where we can ask you a couple of questions. And, and the first one uh, is, what is the chance that in, uh, you know, in the aftermath of, of AUKUS, in the aftermath of the decision taken by United States, Australia, uh, first of all, uh, United States and, and Great Britain, and France was so enraged about, France would actually turn more to um, other European countries' perspective, including Central Eastern Europe, to build up more with Europeans on the future of, you know, of, of, of defense and uh, strategic uh, coordination. Hi, Wojtek. Uh, first of all, many thanks to, for having me. I'm really happy to be able to, uh, to share some perspectives uh, from the French side, of course. Uh, I think that France will will try to 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 put forward the idea of strategic autonomy again because of this focus. Uh, it's on the rhetoric at the moment. You can see that very well. Uh, and the election campaign will be key here. Uh, as a reminder, we will have presidential elections in April and uh, legislative election in May. Uh, so uh, I think what we need to avoid is too much. Uh, it's too much uh, talks on that. I mean, we need to remain constructive and not just do communication. So. Uh, how to remain constructive. I think that we have to understand that uh, Central Eastern Europe is very key for European strategic autonomy. 
and especially when it comes to defense and security. Um, and the problem at the moment is that our relations, I mean, French relations with these countries are quite poor. And this is one of the reasons of the lack of support during last summer with the tensions with Turkey. And you can see that, for example, there is new alliances, I mean, small-scale alliances, but still alliances between Poland, Turkey, Romania, Turkey, Ukraine, Turkey. So, you know, uh, this is something we need to take into account. And we need to understand that we need to reinforce these relations within the European Union in order to build this idea of strategic autonomy. And I think what we need to understand in France, and I'm not sure that it's understood at the moment, is that CE countries are not against strategic autonomy. This is false. Um, they need... They need it. They need a stronger Europe. They need a strengthened Europe, uh, including in defense and security matters. Because, of course, the transatlantic relationship is evolving, but the U.S. are not retreating from Central Europe. They're increasing the presence in many ways. And we, we can discuss that more uh, in details later. But what CE countries need to accept the so-called European strategic autonomy is first need more clarification from the French side. Uh, this concept is not clarified enough. It's a big concept and we don't really know what is going on inside. Uh, they need also to be assured and this is key, I think, and we need to understand it. And I think that we have some sign that Macron tries to adapt his discourse after AUKUS on that. Uh, this European strategic autonomy needs to be made in addition to NATO and not replace NATO uh, because NATO NATO is and NATO remain key there. And just to finish that, I think we have a problem on perceptions, uh, both historical and contemporary, and it needs to be sorted out. See, countries don't perceive France as a guarant of security for historical reasons, for the Second World War, for the fact that France was not here in Gdansk. France, France signed this Munich Agreement, etc., etc. It's not something big for us. We don't think it's important, but it is, and it is central and key for this European strategic autonomy as well, and I will finish on that, contemporary perceptions. And here, AUKUS can serve us as a good example. Why AUKUS has been signed? Because Australia thinks that... Uh, at the last moment, if there is a war, if there is a problem, the US are the most likely ally to come. Central Europe and Eastern European countries think the same. If there is a problem, we never know. It's possible the US is still the most likely partner to come and not friends. So we need a lot of dialogue. Thank you. Well, dialogue is uh, definitely the most diplomatic framing of a lack of agreement or lack of uh, common perspective. So yes, the dialogue is necessary. And Central Europeans, uh, as I think you rightly pointed out, are not estranged by the concept of strategic autonomy, but they want a framework that fits their needs and their perspective. And there is a global ambition and global perspective and presence of France, definitely with the resources uh, which are from security or defense point of view to economic point of view, uh, and also historical perspective are there, uh, I mean, post-colonial and so on. Central Europeans, are, well, they, they don't have that uh, global perspective to the extent, at least, as, as France. And in fact, they are looking into Europe much more and the Europe's neighborhood. So I'm thinking, you know, as, as this is a very um, uh, concrete situation, con concrete uh, dilemma uh, for when it comes to security, it also plays into the, uh, into the whole discussion that, uh, that is this uh, ambivalent format on the conference on the future of Europe. But nevertheless, within this time space, we are in various formats, discussing the future of Europe and the positions. 
what are in your opinion uh the what what is the potential of common positions between uh countries in central eastern europe individuals or a regional perspective and friends when it comes to the future of europe yes uh and so my perspective on that first is to question before the future of europe the common understanding of today's europe and unfortunately we already have a, a little bit of problems here um and this is the, the problem that the common understanding of Europe is difficult as fractures divide still exist between the East and the West. We try to say that it doesn't, but it is. And I think that France and Central European and Eastern European countries have difficulties to come up with common understanding of what is the EU, what are the objectives and what are the perspectives of it. And on the other side, I think that Central European and Eastern countries, they have problems to find the position within the European Union. Uh, uh, there is still lack of representation. This is true. Uh, there is still, uh, there are still lack of e equality, basically, uh, economic equality. It's a big concern. Uh, but also more real things. Uh, I mean, economy is real, of course, because of salaries, things like this, but also concrete things in everyday life. Infrastructure, infrastructures, for example. Uh, it's not the same at all in Central Europe and in Western Europe, for example. So this is why we are developing train lines, we are developing roads, things like this. So this is thing to take into account. But the lack of representativity, I think it's something bigger. And also we have to say that at the moment, the voices are not the same. And there is a perception, and I think rightly in Central Eastern Europe, that they are not heard enough. Right. Anyway, I think this uh, perception can be seen, for for example, by Franco and Polish relations. And what I'm afraid is that France could want to go in this thought of differentiated integration. And at the same time, Poland will be tempted to say, OK, we are not listened. So let's do the Central Europe all dreams. Let's unite together. And so, you know, I'm afraid that the problem is to have much more important fractures in the coming years. And this is problematic for the future of Europe. But still, I think that the situation is not lost, uh, that we still have some ground to hope because overall, both CE countries and France need stronger and safer Europe. Uh, and so we need to increase strategic autonomy. As I said before, we in relation with our transatlantic space, with relation with NATO, but we have common things on which we can work together, just to mention border control, for example, on what is happening on Belarus border, or energy security, and we, we've seen this problem, and we will see this problem more and more in the coming weeks. But more than that, and to finish on that as a conclusion, <laughs> once again, we need dialogue to discuss the future of Europe. And France here has to strengthen its role on Central Eastern European countries. It means the development of alternative diplomatic tools, uh, such as think tank, for example, better communication in France about these countries, but also of France in these countries. And finally, I think the reinforcement of interpersonal links, and it's, it's key. My question to you again is, what are the three potential areas in which this dialogue that you speak about can be continued? And there, is, there would be a clear commitment, both from the French side and Central European side. I mean, you know, these are the topics that we want to discuss further. 
Uh, I think we need to, to understand it also in the in the perspective of the French presidency of the European Union, which will start uh, at the beginning of uh, of uh, of the year of next year, two thousand twenty-two. Uh, I think here are some uh, very important things: is the continuation of the integration of the European Union, and this is a, a thematic on which we need to find consensus. There is no consensus at the moment, but we need to strengthen it for sure, uh, and we need to come up with the same vision. It means that we cannot just say uh, Europe of the nation on one side, Europe, Federalist Europe on the other side, and then on the other side also uh, some of mix-up. Uh, so we need to come with a common uh, future and with a common uh, understanding of that. Uh, I think on more details, uh, security energy will be a key topic in the coming weeks for sure because of the rise up of the gas. And here we have a lot of disagreements within the European Union. Uh, Central Europe and Eastern Europe will be affected a lot, uh, but Southern Europe will be affected a lot as well. And so we need to to come back with a strong answer. I think that France has the capacity to fix also these issues with civil nuclear power. Uh, this is something to dig on, and this is something that can strengthen also the whole transatlantic alliance, uh, because the US, for example, have also a lot of capacities, right? And I think one of the other topic is migration. There is a consensus more and more in Europe that migration has to be more controlled and to that extent the idea is to say that Europe has to be safer with reinforced strengthened borders and here the topic is not anymore only southern Europe it's not only Greece, uh, Italy, Spain, uh, it's also now Central Eastern Europe, Poland, Lithuania, Latvia. So I think here there is a lot of room of manoeuvre. And yeah, basically this is the, the three topics I see as predominant in the dialogue. Um, and also more largely, this is a, this is key, but I, I, I keep repeating it, but it's dialogue, dialogue on the common future Europe.